Welcome to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. WellMed Radio will educate you about health and wellness for seniors and their families throughout Bear County in Central Texas. During the next hour, your hosts Ron Aaron and nurse practitioner Cora Zhuk will share information that will help you improve your health and wellness. And now, here's Ron Aaron and Cora Zhuk. Well, thank you very much and welcome to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Cora Juke, nurse practitioner, graduate of Texas Tech undergrad, Texas Tech, where she got her master's as a nurse practitioner and now studying for her doctoral degree at the University of Texas in Houston uh, with the goal of becoming an administrator. A nurse exec, absolutely. Well, that's pretty cool, though. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as we mentioned last week, and we can remind folks, great sadness here. Poor Ernesto, our technical director, was in tears. <laughs> You're moving on. You've been promoted to a high-ranking position with Optum. Yes. And you just don't have time to do this show. We're kind of like chopped liver for you now. Oh, never, never. And you're, uh, you're going to be moving on, and Dr. Joshua Beck will be taking over for you. I, I think he's going to do a wonderful job. I, I've had him on a few times, and yeah. he's been a great guest. Yeah, he'll do a wonderful job, and, and we're changing up things a little bit at WellMed Radio, so I think it's going to be a great thing. So tell me what it is you do for Optum for those who are curious, what is Optum to begin with? So Optum Health is actually who I work for, um, and they are under uh, United Healthcare, so or United Health Group. And United Health Group is the insurance company, and then United Health Care is part of the care delivery organizations or care services. And in order to deliver care, they have this group that they call Optum that does that. Now, part of what I do is the is on the back end. It's not the care delivery to the patient, but it's creating education information or educational um, deliverables to physicians as well as to patients. So anything that we give the patients, either at WellMed or New West or any of these new groups that are joining um, Optum, we any of the um, deliverables that we give them come from our team. So my title is the Associate Medical Director of Clinical Quality for Optum. So I'm nationwide and I create a lot of the um, patient-facing information and provider-facing information. And I hope they're paying you a lot more money. Well, yeah, that, that was a perk. You're doing okay. <laughs> that was a perk. And then also being able to work from home. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't wear makeup anymore. As, as, you know, I never thought you needed out. it, but that's Aww, a you're different so story. Sweet. Raw. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so your your new position after twenty plus years seeing patients, no more. No more. No. So I get to do it on a different level now. I get to help with the education of patients. You know, it's it's interesting. So you're you don't think about as a provider what it takes to to give patients information you know we tell them things but to give something that is understood in both English and in Spanish um, that they can go right to and it gives them kind of like that snippet of information that you want right. to capture without you being there and so that's what we deliver to the patients well, that's and cool it's more more difficult than what I thought. You know, I thought, oh, you can just write some stuff down, you give it to the patient. No, that's not how this works. So I have a huge team, um, internet designers and instructional designers. And and so we work together and do this. It's pretty cool. And uh, health literacy, of course, is a huge issue across the country. Mm -hmm. It is. Um, you know, Writing something at a fifth grade level is is difficult when you have, you know, a master's degree, a bachelor's degree. You know, you don't think about that because your reading level is different. Um, but the general public don't read at the level that we read at. You know, they don't understand the, techno the, the terms that we use. In fact, when I say certain things, you say, like, what does that mean? And so you have to think about that. You know, I, th I think about when I talk to my mom about health. I can't use the same terms that I would use to a colleague. I have to say simple terms. Not that she can't read, but she just doesn't understand what that means. Plus, well, my training as a talk show host. You have to break it down. Yeah. So if you use language or our guest who's coming on in just a moment uh, uses language that's a little technical, I'll just say, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? Absolutely. And that works. And speaking of our guest, someone mm -hmm. that you already know, and she was on WellMed Radio with our first co-host, Dr. Robin Eikhoff. 
Uh, we're going to welcome back again to our microphones Dr. Jessica Schaefer. She's with Specialist for Health, a well-med company. She's a doctor of osteopathy, specialist in rheumatology. And we're going to find out what that means. Graduate of Kirksville College of Osteopathic Medicine in, oddly enough, Kirksville, Missouri. She completed her internal medicine residency and rheumatology fellowship at the University of Missouri-Columbia. And Dr. Schaefer is board certified in rheumatology by the American Board of Internal Medicine. And so, Dr. Schaefer, the first question, which you know you're going to get, so what is rheumatology? Yeah, that's always an interesting question. Hello, everyone. Nice to Um, see you again. You too as well. Thank you. Um, rheumatology is more a study of like immunology, but really, um, I tend to kind of break it down and just say, you know, we take care of people with autoimmune diseases such as lupus and rheumatoid arthritis and some of the other fancy names that we end up seeing. Uh, And Mm -hmm. rheumatoid arthritis for those who don't know is very painful. It can be. Yes. Some people really have amazing pain. And it can hit at uh, very different ages. It can. It kind of spans the lifespan. There's usually a double hit in the young population. Because we have a, daughter, mm-hmm. a friend whose daughter has rheumatoid arthritis. As a child or yes. as a, yes. As so a it, child. It can come Teenager on. Teenager now. It mm-hmm, can come on in childhood. It can come on in um, young to middle adulthood. And then again, later in life as well. So anytime. And what other issues do you deal with as a rheumatologist? So we take care of um, patients with like inflammatory diseases such as vasculitis and Sjogren's disease and scleroderma and kind of some, if you will, less common um, diseases that some people hopefully have never heard of. Sjogren's is one of those questions when you give blood, they ask you, have you ever had Sjogren's disease? I have no idea what it is. Really? Really? Um, Yeah. So Why do they ask? I'm interested to know that unless you have... Is it contagious? Blood... I don't know the, the answer. Oh, okay. No, 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 not at all. It's an autoimmune disease that oh. usually affects the lacrimal glands, meaning the eye and um, the salivary glands, your spit glands. Oh, okay. So it dries you up. <laughs> and <laughs> most most people, it can affect other things as well, but that's that's an interesting question. I don't know if it has I have hepatitis. no idea. I don't know. You know, Ron had asked me, you know, how do you know Dr. Schaefer? And I said, well, I've, I've flown with her several right. times now. Every time I go somewhere, it seems like we're on the same You're on plane the airplane. together. Um, but, but really, I have referred patients to Dr. Schaefer when I was practicing at WellMed. And, you know, the one thing is, is your patient really doesn't, you don't want your patient to have to need a rheumatologist, but unfortunately, they do need rheumatologists. And I mean, fortunately for you, they need rheumatologists. But usually when the patient needs a rheumatologist, it's because they're usually complaining of some type of pain or something that's really impairing them. And it's beyond the scope of a, of a primary care physician or nurse practitioner or a PA to do. And so that's why we refer out. Normally, when I would get patients, it was because, you know, they were starting to have severe joint pain. Um, like the Sjogren's, the dryness. And, you know, we run the labs in the primary care setting, but that's not definitive testing. They need further testing and they need further questioning by their by their specialists. And that's how I, how I know Dr. Schaefer. Now we're going to talk more with Dr. Schaefer, but I want to remind those who may have just joined us, you're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron with our last show, Boo, with our co-host, <laughs> Cora Chuk, who is moving on to great things. And our guest today... Dr. Jessica Schaefer, she's with Specialist for Health, a WOMED company, and is a rheumatologist. Specialist for Health, got a lot of specialists there, which is the right, why the name works. Cardiologists, dermatologists, what other ologists? There's neurology and podiatry. I'm going to miss some. What else am I missing? Um, rheumatology. Rheumatology, obviously. Rheumatology, yeah. Did uh, you say, der- did I say dermatology skin? Yeah, I, I did. did. You actually. did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of um, any more, um, but we're constantly trying to add. So psychology is one that we're actually trying to add as well. Um, And pain management is one that we had for a little while as well. Um, But all these specialists, they collaborate with their primary care network to to take good care of the patient. And the nice thing is, is it's all inclusive when you're at WellMed. You know, you get your specialists and, and they're usually practicing at one of our specialty clinics or one of our primary care clinics, I guess. And all the charting is done internally inside of our medical record. We see what the doctors see, the primary doctor. So that's really nice. Why? Mm-hmm. Why is that nice? Because the inter- because there, it takes so much collaborative care. You know, you have to read what's going on with the other specialists. I always am looking at what the lung doctors are thinking, what the GI specialists are thinking, and cardiology. I want to know what's going on because my disease is 
involve the entire body, multiple organ systems. So, What made you pick rheumatology? It's an interesting story. I did a rotation when I was an intern um, in internal medicine, and I wasn't sure if I made the right choice doing internal medicine because all the stuff I was rotating with, I was like, man, I don't love this. So <laughs> I, huh. did, I did rheumatology, and it's puzzles. It's really solving complex puzzles all the time and just really sitting down and being able to actually make a real difference in people's quality of life immediately sometimes. So I was married once to a woman who did the New York Times Sunday crossword puzzle in ink and never had to cross anything out. <laughs> Ours is definitely not Needless to say, we're no longer married. But, <laughs> yeah. We use pencil more. <laughs> we would Number two pencils, it, yeah. right? You know, it, it, it's funny. I, I have this, I had this patient once that I took care of and, and as in primary care and she was having severe pain in her joints. You know, she she thought it was arthritis. She was taking NSAIDs or the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories to the point where it was really starting to hurt her stomach. And it not only that, but her kidney function was also starting to to decline. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I said, let's get some. Of course, she had come to me and, and, and I said, oh, my goodness, you've got so much meds involved and, and this is crazy. And she said, my arthritis is terrible. I don't know what's going on. And and she says it's affecting everything. I feel like I can't even pick anything up from the refrigerator any longer. I went to go get milk and I dropped it all over the floor and and it's just, this is wasteful and I don't know what to do. And um, so we ended up getting some blood work and we ended up referring her to you guys in, in rheumatology and her, she came back and she said, you know, I think there's light at the end of the tunnel for me because they finally diagnosed me with rheumatoid arthritis. And she said, I didn't realize that my joints were deteriorating right before my own eyes. And I had no idea. And now at least we can put a stop or a halt to that. And I can pick things up again. And, and she wasn't hurting anymore. And she had her days, but it wasn't like it used to be. And so those kind of stories, when you have your specialists that are in, in house, it, it's so nice. And you get that feedback immediately um you know from the from the specialist and then from the patient and it, it was great it's a great story well, talk to us a little bit about rheumatoid arthritis what is it how do you diagnose it and how do you treat it that is a very complex question that you just asked and your eyes can, got wider can, and wider <laughs> i can start we can start there so let me kind of explain the different types of arthritis okay. that there are so there's lots of different types and <clears throat> of what we consider arthritis and so there is most people think of osteoarthritis when they think of the the joint pain that comes on with wear and tear or with aging and the, that usually happens in your knees and your hips and your spine um, but rheumatoid arthritis is a totally different ball game it's an immune system dysfunction in which your body targets not only your joints sometimes but sometimes your other organs as foreign and actually causes inflammation um, in in those locations so most commonly in the small joints of the hands and wrists. So it turns its body defense system against its own against body. Against you, yes. And so the treatment actually, to answer that part of your question, it is directed towards the immune system, which is very different than the other types of arthritis where we're not trying to target the immune system. We're just trying to provide strength to the muscles and supportive care to, you know, for knee osteoarthritis. It's a different thing. This one, we actually have to use medicines against the immune system. Yeah, what kind of medicines are used? <clears throat> So there's different types. There's considered oral um, DMARDs, so they're called disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs. And those are usually um, in pill, but sometimes injectable form. And then there are also uh, biologic DMARDs, disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs, which are commonly the ones you see advertised on television towards you. And how are those administered? Um, mostly through injection at this point. There's one that's not a biologic, but it is a pill form that you can take. But most of them are injectables once you're asked. But that's you don't start there. We start definitely with the um, the oral ones that that are proven to work over time. And how effective are the treatments? It if depends. I come to you with rheumatoid arthritis and you say, hey, I got the magic bullet, don't worry. So it's not a cure. We're not curing it out there to cure this. We're basically holding the horseback in the gate, if you will. like, um, And so just trying to control symptoms, but also control the disease and to put it in remission. We use words like the cancer doctors use to make sure that we're getting um, disease into very low activity stage or, or inactive if possible. We saw in the Preakness what happens when you hold a horse back in the gate. It throws its rider. And that's exactly <laughs> what happened Saturday. Poor Johnny Velasquez ended up on the track. And the horse ran the whole race, by the way. 
<laughs> in fact, wow. in fact, he ran twice around the oval. Wow. So that was one spucky <laughs> little horse. But That's the so idea funny. of holding him in the gate, mm-hmm. keeping mm-hmm. rheumatoid arthritis from spreading or expanding, or what would the term be? So what you're trying to do is prevent joint damage over time. So it's more or less um, just trying to maintain function and improve function, if at all possible, and decrease pain and inflammation. Now, uh, over the years, I've seen people, mostly older people, who have very deformed fingers. Is that a result of an arthritis? Most commonly, it's osteoarthritis that you might be seeing. But if it's really twisty-turny, um, it can definitely be a result of rheumatoid arthritis. That's, that's what we're trying to prevent um, with these medications. Yeah, really twisty turn. So those are the, those mm-hmm. are the end stages mm-hmm. of those diseases. Right. And I think we all have seen those, those. You know, I think about the little old ladies in church who their fingers, you know, start to overlap each other. And it almost looks like a contracture of sorts. And, and they've lost as much function. You know, they can barely do anything with their fingers and their toes look the same. And you see these huge knots and stuff on their fingers. And it just looks horrible because it looks like it's so painful for them. We're going to come back to that in just a moment (laughs) while we digest what Cora has just described. (laughs) You're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. Our special guest, Dr. Jessica Schaefer. She's with Specialists for Health, part of the WellMed system. And she is a rheumatologist. Cora Juke, our Nurse practitioner, co-host, I'm Ron Aaron. Wellmed Radio comes to you on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Carol Zorniel, we talk a lot about caregiving on Caregiver SOS on air, but what is it? Caregiving is caring for a family member, a friend, a loved one, someone who's in your life that needs help with bathing, dressing, buying groceries, medical appointments. If you do any of those things, you're a caregiver. And how can this program help? Caregiver SOS On Air has information from people who have been caregivers, who work with caregivers. It can be book authors, scientists, doctors, the latest information on caregiving. And one of the things we learn from so many folks is they fail to ask for help when they need it. Well, caregivers do need help. We don't like to ask for help, but we need it. And you'll get tips on how to ask for help and how to have a better life as a family caregiver. Plus, there's a great website you can go to, caregiversos.org. Caregiver SOS on air, Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Well, we are so pleased you are with us here on WellMed Radio on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Cora Juke, and we're talking with Dr. Jessica Schaefer, who is with Specialists for Health, a WellMed company, and she is a rheumatologist. And it's interesting uh, when you think about ways in which you can help people. That's your psychic income. When someone comes to you with pain all over your body, their body, and you can do something about it, that must feel great it can. for you. It, it can. Sometimes people come to us with pain that we can't make go away. And that can be really tough um, for both myself, but also most definitely for patients that experience that. So that's harder Sometimes. And you find patients who come to you who have been self-medicating? Sure. People do all sorts of things with, um, whether that be with over-the-counters. I've seen people rub all sorts of horse, speaking on the horse theme earlier, we are horse liniments and all sorts of stuff. People will try Hey, horse every... liniment works. Don't knock it. I'm not. You know, <laughs> you know we were talking last week mm-hmm. about, about the opioid crisis mm-hmm. and dependency. Yeah. And so many of these people, like Dr. We were talking with Dr. Ortiz last week, and, and what what we came to the conclusion, and we all know, uh, the PCPs, the physicians, the, the the healthcare providers have created the opioid crisis. We we prescribed for so long these medications, and we used to prescribe. You know, back, I remember when I first started practicing, we were prescribing 380, you know, pain pills a month to these people, but. We weren't utilizing our resources appropriately. We were medicating their pain, but we weren't really getting them out of pain. We were creating these opioid dependencies. Whereas I see now utilizing the resources of rheumatology and actually getting to the bottom of where their pain is coming from and then getting them on medications that have nothing to do with opioids. I love it when my patients come to me and they say, they got me off of these things because they weren't helping me anyway. It was in their mind that, that they were dependent upon them now. But they said, it never took my pain away. And now I'm on a medication that takes my pain away. It's a great, great story. Sometimes it actually can potentiate the pain and it makes it worse. And especially 
when it comes to chronic pain syndromes and things like that, um, it's it's opening up a door to go down that route. So it can immediately feel better, but long term, it is yeah. it's very detrimental. Folks mm-hmm. with chronic pain, folks feel chronic pain. True. Yeah. Very true. All the time. It's real to them. Mm-hmm. It's very real. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Absolutely. But right. opioids are not always what help the pain. And so that's what's important is to figure out the underlying diagnosis, utilizing your specialists and, and making sure that you target the appropriate pain receptors or the, 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 the sensory um, part of the brain that can relieve that pain without any need for opioids because opioids have their own side effects, you know, with the constipation, which also creates even more chronic pain. So getting to the bottom of it is what's important. I had knee replacement surgery uh, about a year ago, January, uh, and uh, out of surgery, it was given hydrocodone. Uh, and I took some. Uh, knock wood, I never had any pain after the surgery, uh, but I hated the hydrocodone. I didn't like the way it made me feel. It kept me up at night. Constipation was a real issue, uh, and it made me feel kind of tingly all over. So I just quit taking it, and knock wood, I'm not one of those who would have been predisposed to be addicted. What is it who are, for those people who are addicted to it that they get out of it? What, what's it doing for them? Well, stimulating pleasure centers in your brain, right? So any- See, I didn't get any of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, some people really definitely do. Well, I guess. And, it, you know, it kind of can trigger that. So, um, yeah, they can cause phys- physical dependence and things like that. I don't even prescribe um, them in my practice because we don't really have to use them in rheumatoid arthritis. Most of the time we can get by without them completely. And just really target the actual disease and then not have to go with those high-risk meds, which are now really only indicated for short-term use right. for very, very acute major pain. So when we talk about rheumatoid arthritis, you know, tell us some of the things that the patients can do on their own um, outside of medication. So you know, they're taking their medications, but you talked about the muscles and support of the muscles. Talk to us about their lifestyle that they need to live. I think that's huge. Um, I think one... We try to discuss optimizing health wherever you are, whatever you're going through. So um, that is of utmost key. So whether that be people with arthritis should exercise. Mm -hmm. And that's a common misconception um, that people shouldn't exercise and we need to protect our joints. Yes, you should, you know, maybe not jump out of airplanes if you have bad arthritis or things like that. that Oh, darn. But but actually... exercising, strengthening the muscles around the joint so that they can move so that you can get up off the chair and get up off the toilet long term and stay as functional as possible. Um, So definitely exercise is huge. Taking care of your nutrition is hugely important. It's not going to fix your rheumatoid arthritis, but it could definitely sometimes make you feel better if you eat healthy and eat less processed and Fast food. So these are some of the basic, you know, nutritional stuff that we'll walk through. So when you say to a patient you need to eat healthy, what is it you're telling them to do? To eat mostly uh, fruits, vegetables, healthy proteins, and really avoid the inside of the grocery store, the processed fruit. Right, the outer. Mm -hmm, The perimeter. The perimeter perimeter. of the store. Mm -hmm. And stay away from cans. Yeah, I mean, any, it's not just cans, but just, you know, we eat so much stuff that's been processed and, and things, so like crackers and things like that, that on occasional use, but as part of our dietary staple, is probably not the wisest thing. So it's not going to fix your inflammatory arthritis, but it may um, may make you feel better. No, but what it will also do is help with your weight. And so controlling weight is so important. Think about, you know, I think about the orthopedic doctors that I know, and, and I used to be an uh, OR nurse for years, and and I always loved when they would not, they'd have their hard stop on. We will not do a knee replacement on somebody with a BMI over 40 because they're going to wear that knee out faster. There's too much pressure on that joint. And I think about the heavier you are, even walking, you're deteriorating and just grinding away at your joints the heavier you are. They're not meant to support that kind of weight. Um, They're meant to support your frame, but not being morbidly obese. And we live in a community that generally is morbidly obese with the processed foods that we're eating. So watching their weight is so important. I can see that. Oh, yeah. And it's, I mean, you can, everybody starts where they are. I think that's the thing is, is to not be judgmental of ourselves or, where, or wherever we are. As we start where we are, we start moving where we are. And sometimes I will literally tell patients, look, just move one minute of stretching and that's your first day. 
and that's all you do. And the next day you do a minute and 10 seconds and literally time yourself and walk away so that it's not overwhelming and you're not sore for more than 20 minutes afterwards. And you can gradually build up because you, there's no, you're not winning any awards for being a weekend warrior and hurting yourself. Right. So you just actually doing this functionality over time. And it's really consistency of training that, that matters most. So. Now, when you talk about exercise, mm -hmm. weight-bearing exercises, are those best um, or cardio? What what do you recommend to your patients who have, you know, they're coming to you for the first time, they're starting medication, and now they're asking you about an exercise regimen to protect? So first, I would just make sure that they've talked to their primary doctors about whether exercise is okay for their heart and things like mm -hmm. that, especially if they have any underlying conditions. But um, yes, most definitely weight-bearing exercise is ideal, and um, but that may be just doing a sit-to-stand mm -hmm. without hands, you know, mm -hmm. over time, or even with hands where you're doing a, a squat. That's Dr. Eikhoff's <laughs> cure-all, squats. Well, Dr. Eikhoff uh, CrossFits, and so exactly. do I. And so, oh, do you too? Yeah, so I okay. understand that. Um, yeah, she's heavy into uh, squats. Mm -hmm. It's very important getting, I mean, the number one reason to go in a nursing home is not being able to get off a toilet. Right. Literally. Mm -hmm. Not being able to support your own core. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, one, I didn't know that. One thing that I have told patients before that are couch, what I consider a couch potato, I say, look, during the commercial breaks, do stand up and sit down and stand up and sit down from where you are on your sofa. And that's great exercise for you. Get some soup cans and use those, you know, as you're watching the news, you know, going back and forth and doing curls with those. Um, anything and everything that you can do in your home to not be sedentary is good for you. <laughs> so what do you get out of CrossFit? Besides um, st muscle strength and... Blisters. There's got to be... A, <laughs> there's a psychological boost you get as well. Well, sure. There's endorphins with all exercise. Right. And that's actually one of the... Another nice side effect of exercise is you get nice uh, endorphins. I mean, you don't have to be a marathon runner. Sometimes it's just actually the feeling of having done something for yourself and taking that time for your physical health. Um, it's just as important as our spiritual and mental, um, you know, it's just being able to move our bodies is, is a gift. And so using that gift um, is kind of cool. So I want to find out about some of the other diseases that you work with as a rheumatologist. If you just joined us, you're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Cora Juke, nurse practitioner. And Dr. Jessica Schaefer is our guest. She's with WellMed Specialist for Health, and she is a rheumatologist. We've talked about rheumatoid arthritis is something that uh, you see and treat uh, as a rheumatologist. What other diseases do you work with? So I alluded to Sjogren's um, earlier, and that's uh, that's an autoimmune disease that... Um, Ultimate in dry mouth. That's part of it. It can be much more complex than that, but that's usually the most common side effect of it. And people will just use over-the-counter treatment. Some people have very mild disease, and some people have very severe disease that requires immunosuppression. Um, we deal with lupus, systemic lupus erythematosus, which is three w fancy words for lupus, right? But that's a multi-system autoimmune disease and definitely can affect most organs, if not. We're really, you know, lupus got brought to light mm -hmm. recently um, with Selena Gomez. There's a celebrity, sure, yes. young mm -hmm. celebrity, who um, is a singer, and, and she has lupus. And what she started noticing was the chronic fatigue that, that she had. And people kept saying, oh, you're overdoing it. But it really was something internal. And, and so she brought light to lupus. But I, I know there's got to be so many more people that are suffering from so many of these symptoms that just have not reported them yet. So, yeah, and in people with fatigue, I would um, start with basic stuff like check, making sure you're sleeping adequately and eating appropriately and taking care of your body and things like that. But And definitely talk to your primary doctor about your fatigue if, if, it's, if you've kind of done some self-adjustments at home and you still can't figure out why. Selena Gomez, though, had pretty bad lupus. She had a mm -hmm. renal transplant, if she I recall did. that. So she kidney did. Kidney transplant, oh, really? yeah. So, um I'm not, I've not followed her story that much, but right. did, and you're did not a doctor, that. but I'm not. Sure, but right. you no, can she see, advertised that I think on right. social media. But yeah. you can see how um, how it can affect the internal organs as well. With her having significant kidney damage and needing a, a renal transplant, um, you know, of course, that's the extreme case. We hope that we can catch it way before it ever right. gets to something like that. But a lot of our seniors, you know, we talked last last week about men versus women. A lot of our women will complain, you know 
know, come in at the drop of a hat. You know, I've got this ache here, but a lot of our men don't. And unfortunately, I think a lot of our men go underdiagnosed with some of these diseases because they just don't complain about them. I think that's pretty typical of males. I've done enough shows to hear that from every physician that has ever walked the face of the earth. Males don't generally report uh, an issue as often as women will. And if they're married, very often it's the wife or girlfriend who will bring them in. Do you see that in your practice? I see less men. Honestly, probably because autoimmunity is less male dominant. I see Mm -hmm. a big percentage of my patients are female. Mm -hmm. However, I do see men and it lupus and all my other diseases, rheumatoid arthritis, can most definitely affect both men and women of all um, ages. So mm-hmm. it's, it's <laughs> to answer your questions, sometimes they'll, sometimes they'll talk more, mm-hmm. you know, when they're comfortable. So what about the, the, you know, there's a lot of buzz about fibromyalgia. Do you treat a lot of fibromyalgia or see a lot of patients with fibromyalgia? So I can talk about fibromyalgia for a long time. Good, um, because a lot of people were putting it down for a long time, mm-hmm. saying it doesn't exist. It's in your mind. So I tell people it's in your brain. It's not in your mind. It really is. Um, it's in your brain. So it's um, a chronic disease, uh, but not really what you think of. It's a chronic pain syndrome. Mm-hmm. So basically what's changed is your brain chemistry has changed the way it processes pain. And we, c- I think of it like an amplifier on a guitar. So if you have an electric guitar and you strum it, it's, you don't really hear much, right? Mm-hmm. But when you plug it into that amplifier, it is full on and turn it all the way up. That's a lot of times what people experience. And they have this... Um, experience where there's a syndrome of fatigue and um, sleep disturbance where you have non-restorative sleep, meaning you don't feel rested when you, after you sleep. Even if you sleep for eight hours, you don't feel like you've gotten any rest. And it's because your um, brain doesn't ever go into deep sleep. Oh. So there's actually a pathology in that. It hurts to be touched. People have good days, bad days, and but they have pain almost every day. And my patients frequently tell me um, that it's, you know, on a scale of one to 10, they live in a six to eight and that's what they experience every single day. And it's they not pleasant. No. And they can't tell you where it's coming from sometimes. And so those patients, mm-hmm. you know, goals for, for patients with fibromyalgia and in, in primary practice, we've, I used to say the same thing is to take your, what you live in. If you live in an eight, I'm not going to be able to take you down to a zero, but could I get you to a four and that be sustainable for you? And a lot of patients will say, I'd be happy with a four, but in reality, I'd love to get them to zero. I don't think that we as doctors and nurse practitioners um, can get the patients down, honestly. And that's that's a hard thing to talk about because um, we feel inadequate because there's only so many medicines that are actually available for use for this. Right. But really, all the stuff that we've been talking about earlier in this, it's um, lifestyle, 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 lifestyle with fibromyalgia. You don't need Explain to explain that. What does that mean? So it's so working on the things that you have control over, which um, your movement, your sleep, um, it are you know, and you may not have full control over your sleep, but being able to take as good of care as you can. But being pain free or even being a four may not be an achievable goal for a lot of these people. Um, but thriving despite what's going on with them can be and it it can be a real um, a real challenge because you really have to meet it from hitting it from all different angles you need to hit um, we talked about exercise we talked about sleep we talked about nutrition but we also need to control any medical problems um, that are going on with them diabetes and hypertension and all the other thyroid that may be going on at the same time but and then also mental health is a big deal yeah. with people with chronic pain and making sure that because these these neurochemicals, these brain chem- chemicals, are actually affected by pain and vice versa. So it's a big deal. It's a huge um, impact on people's lives, quality of life. And the question is, is you know, which came first? Did the depression come first, or did the pain come first, or is it just this cyclical thing that this, these patients are going through? I used to see it all the time with patients with with fibromyalgia. You know, they'd say, "I have a confirmed diagnosis now of fibromyalgia." It's depressing because I have pain. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also depressing because people believe it's not real. They think that it's just in my head. Well, they can't see it. They right. can't There's see it. To it's see. not tangible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Correct. And and they say it, it makes me even more depressed. I, I don't. I'm depressed because I'm in pain. I'm in pain because I'm also depressed. And so getting them out of that funk. And I used to tell them, 
It's really important to go out and socialize, and it's also important to exercise. That will stimulate those endorphins that make you feel better. And and you're right, taking care of yourself is very, very important. So yoga, tai chi, sometimes even um, weight training, depending on how mobile and, and active you are. Um, water, if you can get your body in water and move around. But again, just limit it and start slowly and escalate slowly and have a plan with that. But you don't actually have to see a rheumatologist for fibromyalgia. Mm-hmm. I'll definitely say that. A rheumatologist does not have to be the one that diagnoses or treats because this is something that you um, can work with your primary care doctor. I would also say this. One of the things that I train my patients that have chronic pain to to help because they I've learned over nine years of practice that here at WellMed that you they can't tell me where their pain is coming from. Mm-hmm. They really can't. It, it's, it hurts everywhere and it hurts to be touched and it just hurts. And so um, I, I train them to tell me what is new, what is different. And when you mm. go and you talk to your doctors, when you're used to having this 6 out of 10, right? And this is your day-to-day di- difference. But then something changes and something is new and it's not going away. So what's new and different and what's happening to you now? And a lot of times it's a pinched nerve that's radiating down their leg like sciatica or it's a shoulder problem where they tweaked it and they tore the rotator cuff. It's something different and that helps the doctor or nurse taking care of them that can help identify and target something to work towards to help get that 10 down to the six where they live, Mm -hmm. if that helps. If you have the magic solution for unpinching nerves, that would be wonderful. And I um, (laughs) do not. I always say nobody does. There is there are gifts that come with time and birthdays, and sometimes we don't want the birthday gifts we're given. Because I was telling uh, Cora, uh, our seven-year-old daughter was in a recital this weekend uh, at... uh, Laurie Auditorium, or or at uh, Lotta Croft uh, Cockrell's Theater, Mm -hmm. and two women sitting in front of me never sat still, so I had to keep moving my head (laughs) to see my little girl, right? And I walked out of the theater and said, oh, man, I have a pinched nerve. (laughs) And sometimes meeting with your primary doctor and seeing if physical therapy would be an appropriate thing to help improve your balance Finally went away. Well, it does that sometimes, That's what I figured. (laughs) I figured it would ultimately go away. But until it does, it hurts. It can be miserable. Yep. Yeah. So tell us, well, going back to rheumatoid arthritis, mm. so tell us about the patient's, the process of this. So the patient comes to the PCP and they tell them, look, I'm having this pain. And maybe the PCP starts to notice, hey, I've, have your fingers always look like that, you know, or, but generally it's pain. It's generally it's pain or fatigue and, and we're swelling. looking for something going oh, on. Oh, and swelling. Swelling. Yeah. So tell us the process of how you come to the diagnosis of, of rheumatoid arthritis. So rheumatoid arthritis is what we call a clinical diagnosis, meaning you make that by your assessment. And so there are labs that we use mm-hmm. to help um, guide that. But you can you can have labs that are positive for the antibodies that are seen in rheumatoid arthritis, and that's seen in 80% of people. But there are 20% of people that walk around with negative labs, meaning they don't have antibodies, um, but they have the classic symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis. And really, it can affect most joints of the extremities um, and maybe a little bit of the neck, but most of the time if it's back pain or something like that over the age of 60, it's probably not rheumatoid arthritis causing your back issue. Um, but how, when they come to me, how do we make that diagnosis? Mm-hmm. It's usually multiple small joints that are involved, and we can actually feel the swelling when we're doing our exam. Um, And then there are lots of things that can cause inflammatory arthritis symptoms, infections, and um, sometimes even some gout-like, what they used to call Mm -hmm. pseudo-gout, can actually mimic it. And some other diseases can mimic rheumatoid arthritis. So it can sometimes not be black and white in my field, um, which can be frustrating for the patient, Mm -hmm. most definitely, because sometimes they want to have a specific answer, um, and it's not necessarily, well, you definitely have this. so being suspicious of rheumatoid mm-hmm. arthritis, um, what you start the patient on a DMARC right away? That DMARC is? A disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drug, yeah. <clears throat> so I'm, it depends. So if I, if I am sure that it's rheumatoid arthritis, the first-line treatment is a medication called methotrexate. Mm-hmm. And if there's not a reason that they can't take it, then um, people should at least try that because it is standard of care mm-hmm. and it is um, most definitely the medication that's been shown to work. And if you can get by with just methotrexate, where 20 to 30% of people can, um, then that's great because that's lower risk than taking some of the other medicines. And methotrexate does what? So 
It's huh. a, basically a DNA inhibitor, but basically you're inhibiting um, the production of inflammation at the joint lining. I'll say it that way. Okay. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. So tell me what would be some of the things that would prevent a patient from wanting to take methotrexate because there, there are patients all the time who won't take any of their medications for rheumatoid arthritis and that can be very frustrating. So I, uh, I understand exactly what you're trying to come across. Yeah. We see that all the time. I think, um, the thought that you have something that's not curable but can be very frustrating. Sometimes people don't want to take it because they're concerned that the side effects, which are very real and need to be respected, um, are going to happen to them. Whether or not they do happen to them, that's a different thing. Um, some people do, or, or, I mean, do not tolerate this medicine, and mm-hmm. so we are we have to kind of be creative. And there are plenty of other medicines to choose, but again, this one has been shown to be the best at least trial first line. So what are some of the symptoms or the side effects that, that patients might report that are the, the ones that are most feared by patients on uh, methotrexate? I think the ones that even I, you know, I've used it so long, but, and I use it almost in all day long. Um, but the ones I still, I most You mean for your patients, for, not for yourself. Correct. Okay. Um, for this, you know, it can affect, really, it can affect your bone marrow mm-hmm. and it can lower your cell counts. And so that can be pretty scary. Um, and we have to have good kidney functioning to make sure we can use it. And, um, and then we need to make sure that the liver works well. And, um, we have a lot of things that can inhibit, you know, the use of that, but, um, yeah, those are, those are the big things laboratory wise. Um, a lot of people have some mild hair thinning, some people, it can be significant. We give a vitamin to help prevent Mm -hmm. that side effect, Mm -hmm. um, with that. There's an uncommon like allergy type response in the lung that we kind of Mm. make sure everybody's aware of. So it's not with it again. It's a medicine that we need that needs to be respected. And frustratingly, for some people, we need to make sure that that they get their labs done because these again these these medicines require regular lab monitoring and regular follow up. And that's the most important thing with these is if you're going to take them, make sure you're following and getting your doing your part in helping manage. And your if disease. the patient's non-compliant, doesn't go in for labs, what do you do? I can't continue the medicine because that's it could what cause I want to hear harm. You say, right? Yeah. Um, in fact, we, we don't um, give, you know, like a year's worth supply of medicines because you have to go get your labs done. Right. It's just, it's it's one of those things that's a safety um, Well, they can thing. cause significant damage yeah. of, of your other organs. You know, it's 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 nice to hear you say these, these side effects because we have patients that come in to the primary care after they've seen their rheumatologist and they say, look, they started me on this medication, but I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared to take it. Okay, I ask them, you know, first of all, the same with the preventative medicine. You know, if I told you today that you had breast cancer and you said you wanted to treat it, would that if you tell me you're going to treat it, then you need to go get the mammogram. The same with referring to any specialist. You told me you wanted to treat something, so we got to try it. If it doesn't work for you, okay, I can understand that, but you got to start somewhere. And when they start talking about this, the side effects and they read this long, I almost wish sometimes they wouldn't even include it and just let us talk to them about side effects. But when they give them this long list, you know, death is always the first, you know, the scariest one. And I always tell them, look, if you read mm. the back of aspirin, first of all, why do you take aspirin? You know, usually because you get fever, headache. If you read the back of aspirin, one of the side effects or the two side effects are fever and headache from taking aspirin. So, you know, six of one, half dozen the other, you've got to try it. You've got to see if it works. If it doesn't work, then we try something different. If you have side effects, then we try something different. But you've got to find out if it works or not. I don't know if any of my patients are listening, but if they are, they've probably heard me use the phrase, yeah, you're not marrying it. You're just dating. <laughs> so if it's if it's a bad relationship, then we ditch it. And we try to make sometimes make it work out if things are going okay-ish. But, yeah, it's a dating relationship. I like that. You're not marrying it. You're just dating. I like that, too. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's very long-term dating, right? So we'll use right. these medicines for a real long time. And that the interesting thing about our diseases and rheumatology is they don't go away. So people don't really understand that that means when 15 years from now and people have other health issues going on, we ride those out, those issues out with them as rheumatologists. We have long-term relationships with our patients, um, especially if they stay with their doctors and don't move around and stuff. But um, we can really develop long-term relationships and watch people ride these waves of what's going on with the health because stuff happens over time, right? We we have life happen and we have to deal with pneumonias and things like that and what to do with the medicines and what to do with the medicine during surgery. And mm-hmm. We're going to come right back to you. We're talking 
not only about rheumatology and what rheumatologists do, but a variety of diseases that our special guest, Dr. Jessica Schaefer, treats. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Cora Juke, nurse practitioner, and we are listening with you to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. Carol Zornio, we talk a lot about caregiving on Caregiver SOS on air, but what is it? Caregiving is caring for a family member, a friend, a loved one, someone who's in your life that needs help with bathing, dressing, buying groceries, medical appointments. If you do any of those things, you're a caregiver. And how can this program help? Caregiver SOS on air has information from people who have been caregivers, who work with caregivers. It can be book authors, scientists, doctors, the latest information on caregiving. And one of the things we learn from so many folks is they fail to ask for help when they need it. Well, caregivers do need help. We don't like to ask for help, but we need it. And you'll get tips on how to ask for help and how to have a better life as a family caregiver. Plus, there's a great website you can go to, caregiversos.org. Caregiver SOS on air, Sundays at 6 p.m. on 930 a.m., The Answer. You're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 a.m., The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron with our co-host, Cora Jew, nurse practitioner, who is uh, on her last program for the time being. My guess is she'll be back at some point. Maybe even as a guest. Mm-hmm. Cora is moving on as we become an executive with Optum Health, and she will be replaced, although you can never replace her, with Dr. Joshua Beck, and we will have more news about that uh, coming up. You want to keep listening to 9.30 a.m. The Answer, and we will have the answer for you in just a few weeks about uh, how he will be joining us and what we're going to be doing in order to get your interest in this show to continue. We're talking with Dr. Jessica Schaefer, who is a rheumatologist She's with WellMed Specialist for Health, and we're talking about the variety of diseases that she sees. And you said something that, that's really very interesting, that uh, like a PCP, your patients are long-term. Once they come to you, yep. if they have, mm-hmm. for example, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, they are your patient, uh, unless they go somewhere else, for a long time. Yes, because, yes, we walk through their diseases with them over a long period of time. So you see them grow up, you see them age, you see their life change. Yep, we see it, we go through all the stages with them. So there's I've been with WellMed nine years, and there's definitely patients I've had all nine years. So that's it's kind of great because you really develop that long term bond relationship. Sure. And you know what's going on in their family. You know, you know, you, it's it's rewarding. It's the practice of medicine. That part of the practice of medicine is super rewarding. And for the other uh, issues that you treat as a rheumatologist, mm-hmm. is rheumatoid arthritis the most challenging? I would know. Rheumatoid arthritis is probably the most rewarding because it's the one you can impact the most. There are some other diseases that um, that are more challenging, and, and um, scleroderma probably is the one that comes to mind where that it's, it's just a little harder of disease to manage and, and make sure everything is um, going. Now, for those who don't know, what is scleroderma? So scleroderma is uh, another autoimmune disease. It's a multi-system disease where you get um, fibrosis or scarring of um, different areas, and it can it can affect any organ system. Um, Including most skin? Commonly, most commonly skin because, yes, but it can affect big the, organ. the lungs. It can affect the connective tissue in the um, blood vessels. So it's most, it's a it can be a very severe disease, and sometimes it can be very mild, just like all of our diseases, mild to severe and anywhere in between. If you have scleroderma, do you know you have it? Not always, no. Um, I've had people come and see me for completely different reasons, and I ask them, <laughs> do you know you have scleroderma? And it's a surprise to them and me that they haven't been diagnosed yet. And so um, it's it's something that I think is important. Just, I mean, the, the impact is it's not a common disease. It's just a, the treatment is not um, – there's not a lot you can aggressively intervene on. There is definitely treatment out there available. And monitoring, monitoring. If you have scleroderma and you're listening to this show, please follow with your rheumatologist and make sure you um, get your regular monitoring. Um, Is there pain associated with it? Some people have an inflammatory arthritis associated with it. Some people have difficulty swallowing where their esophagus gets involved and they have to have dilations. Their fingers change color in the cold. Um, You can actually have infarctions or death to the fingertips. Really? Oh, yeah, it's a big deal. Um, So that's on the list of diseases mm -hmm. I don't want. 
most of the diseases are on that list, I think. <laughs> but yeah, I think that um, the, it's it can be an interesting one um, to both see and a challenging one to treat. So back to your internship, you make the choice. Mm-hmm. You go into rheumatology. Mm-hmm. Are you happy with it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that um, I don't see myself doing any other type of medicine, especially, you know, with, within the primary care world and internal medicine world. I think it's definitely rewarding and you can make a difference every day, which is why we do this. Right. That's mm-hmm. key. Mm-hmm. Making a difference. Absolutely. And and there's there's some pretty amazing treatments out there. So that and there's more coming down the pipeline always. But we just want it to be curable. We want we want our patients not to have their diseases. Right. right? Well, thank you for coming mm-hmm. on. We enjoyed talking with you. You as well. Thank you. Appreciate it. Dr. Jessica Schaefer. My pleasure. Corey Juke, got about a minute left. We're going to miss you. I hope you've enjoyed doing this show. It, it's been quite a while. Yes, it has. I think about two and a half years now. Right. And and yes, I have absolutely enjoyed it. You know, Dr. Rykoff's shoes were huge shoes to fill. And so I hope I did some justice um, just, just coming on and, and being a part of it. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've met so many different people and you and I have developed a great bond. So yes. I hope to be a guest one day. I hope so too. And you bring eggs back. Actually, I have some eggs for you in Do the you truck. Really? She, she has chickens. Have chickens. Yeah. Yes. Chickens. Yeah. Her husband built the Taj Mahal of chicken coops. I'll have to see the pictures. Yeah. So you know. Well, good luck to you. I'm sure you're going to love your new job. And, I do. Uh, I, I do. wish you the very best. Thank you, Ron. Wellman Radio comes to you on 9:30 a.m. The Answer. And we are so pleased that you have joined us. You can also listen to Caregiver SOS On Air, the other program that we do with Carol Zernial, a program targeting caregivers and their families. And you can hear that one as well right here on 930 AM, The Answer. For Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. We thank you for joining us, and we will talk with you soon right here on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been enjoying WellMed Radio, an exclusive presentation of WellMed Medical Management. Join us next week for more on your health and well-being. For more information on WellMed or to hear this broadcast again, go to wellmedmedicalgroup.com. We'll see you next week on WellMed Radio.